Hey everyone, before we start on this episode, we wanted to let you know that you can watch our Catalog and Cocktails episodes live with us every Wednesday via Zoom. Check the link in our channel bio for more information, and we hope you join us in the discussion in real time. Now, let's get back to the episode. Hello everyone. Welcome, welcome to Catalog and Cocktails. It's Wednesday once again, and uh, this is where we all get together and we have our honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management, usually with a tasty beverage in hand. Uh, I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd and product manager over at Data.World, and this is Juan. Hello, I'm Juan Takedum, the principal scientist here at Data.World, and always excited at our for our midweek pause to go have some chat about different topics on enterprise data management. How are you doing, Tim? How's your week going? I'm doing pretty good. You know, we uh, uh, we didn't work on Mondays. At least we weren't supposed to work on Monday. Um, and so um, uh, it's a short week. And short weeks are always awesome, but they're also a little challenging too. We try to see if we can compress all our meetings into less days, which doesn't always work. <laughs> Well, the, the the life of getting work done in in, in this uh, in this uh, new era. But yeah. Anyways, well, we're so super excited about here about having everybody here join us today, and uh, I just wanted to have a quick call out on the community. We were we're really trying to start building this community, not just within the catalog and cocktails, but just in general around any type of enterprise data. So please join our Slack community. You can just simply go to slack.data.world. Then you can go say hello there. We have a channel for cataloging cocktails. We actually have a channel about data culture. We're trying to kind of kickstart more discussions over there. So, but for now, if you have any questions or anything, just put them in the chat. And just, if you want to just say hello, where you're coming from and what are you drinking, whatever, happy to kick off that conversation in the chat here on here on our Zoom. So, uh, and always for, don't forget that we're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or your favorite places where you get your podcasts. You can go uh, listen to all the past episodes. I think this is now episode 22. Crazy how long this has been going on. I'm Hot so day. excited. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, been, it's been awesome. And uh, what, are you, uh, what are you drinking? Well, I actually, again, like as always, I'm trying to find, what do I have in my, in, in my bar? I'm trying to mix something up. I'm, I had ginger beer and I had a bourbon and I looked something for it. And I found this, this recipe called the North, the Nor'eastern. Mm. Uh, so it is bourbon with ginger, but you actually have some maple syrup and a little bit of lime juice. I didn't have limes. I have oranges. Actually, it's not that bad. Oh, interesting. And, and what's the base for it? Just a bourbon. So just two parts bourbon and then, uh, and then just some lime juice and I put or a little bit of orange, just squeeze some oranges in it and then uh, some ginger beer. Actually, I put the recipe over here. It's pretty nice. Awesome. That sounds kind of good. I, um, I'm drinking a, a hurricane right now and um, I've been uh, using this uh, uh, Liber and Company uh, mixers. I got like their little sample pack and one of them is a passion fruit, uh, tropical passion fruit mix uh, and uh, makes a pretty dang good drink. So cheers, man. Cheers, Tim. All right, so last couple of uh, weeks, we've been talking about data culture, and last week we had a phenomenal episode with the folks from the Associated Press where we were talking about how they're managing and how they've evolved and changed their practices when it comes to polling data. And, and what was so fascinating was how the AP thinks about the data and their practices. There's so much to learn from an enterprise perspective. And 
a lot of the things that we talked about was, hey, let's ask those hard questions. Let's ask why. Uh, let's question those old ways. And someone needs to be that instigator. Uh, people shouldn't be afraid to make mistakes and they should be open-minded. At the same time, we need to, be, we need to have a good baseline and, and have a way to compare ourselves from, different, from previous approaches. And, and if we're going to say something is wrong, well, we're going to go prove it and how it can be improved. Um, so these were all kind of the mindset of the folks at the AP. And I, I think this is, that was great lessons that can be applied for the enterprise. So we're still on this journey on discussing about more, discussing more about uh, data cultures. And we wanted to continue kind of and, and wrap up this segment, uh, this series of data culture with the do's and the don'ts and how to transition from a don't to a do uh, on, on data cultures based on our experience. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got, we've we've started to hear a lot of different stories now. Obviously, as you mentioned, we we heard from the AP. Um, by the way, if you haven't uh, listened to that session, we definitely recommend you go check that out. Go on to Spotify, go on to Apple Podcasts, and check that out. Um, we also talk a lot about like election data and stuff like that. So really fascinating conversation. Please check that out. Um, but yeah, we've got a bunch of things now that we can start to think about and talk about some examples and some stories, some informed by our, our customer experiences, um, some informed by uh, some of the speakers we've had around sort of the, the do's and the don'ts. Um, and uh, anything else you want to set up there, Juan, or should we kind of dive straight into it? Well, let's, let's dive, let's first talk about the, the don'ts. Like what, Let's talk about some examples that you've gone through, that I've gone through, that together we've gone through about things that we've observed that it's like, you know what, this isn't the ideal scenario. This isn't the ideal data culture. So how about you go first? You, you, I'm sure you have, you have an interesting story. Yeah, sure. So, um, so you know, what's, what you often will find out is that um, there's somebody who needs to drive change in your company, right? And there are certain people in your company who are maybe more well suited to that task. Somebody who can be the champion, be the cheerleader. If they're like the chief data officer or something like that, great, right? That's great because that person's very high up in the organization. But sometimes that's just hard to come by, right? And you have to kind of settle for somebody who's a little bit more in middle management or upper middle management to kind of drive some of these initiatives. Normally, a big problem might be that somebody is is not leaning in enough, but an interesting problem, an interesting don't um, is uh, we've seen in uh, in a few examples in the industry where, you know, somebody's trying to drive change in their organization, maybe data catalog or, or governance initiative is part of what they're trying to do there. Uh, and, and this is what I'll kind of call like the, the trouble middle manager, right? This is somebody who is, uh, is, is excited, is driving it forward, um, but maybe they're kind of a jerk, right? And they're really ruffling a lot of feathers uh, and maybe they're, you know, pushing, you know, uh, arbitrary scope, arbitrary timeline. In general, it just really turns people off from sort of the overall initiative, right? And so this is an example of something where, um, you know, in data culture can, can really take you two steps backwards, and you know, when you were trying to take one step forward. So that's, that's one anti-pattern that I would mention. So, so you mentioned something there super interesting, which is a kind of an arbitrary scope or an arbitrary timeline. And I think this is one of the issues when you when we don't have an ideal uh, da- uh, data culture is that as we've talked so many times before is that we don't define what success looks like and on the timeline and 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 how are we rep- and who are we reporting this if things end up being arbitrary or there's like no purpose for this this is one of those those big issues and that's why we start seeing people saying you know what i'm just gonna go do it this way because i think this is the best way but 
people don't understand it. You're trying to go convince that no it has to be my way or the highway. And then that's why people think that you're practically a jerk. And, and, and it's sad. I, it's sad to say that you, that you think somebody's being a jerk. And, and, and I think many people have probably encountered these types of folks within an organization. And yeah, it's sad. Yeah, it's trouble. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, but they're, they're trouble. They, they generate trouble, but not because they're troublemakers, just because I think they lack leadership, right? Or they, they act a direction, they lack a direction. And I think that's one of those issues that, we, that we've discussed before. That is, we want to be, make sure that we have a direction from our executives. And that means that we need to have an executive buy-in. And other things that we've discussed before, that it's not just the executive saying, oh, yes, we need to be a data-driven organization. Please go execute and do that. No, they need to be, they need to drive my example too. Yeah, so, yeah. so we need to have this connection throughout the entire organization. And if we don't, if it doesn't come from the top, that's what we start seeing folks in the middle kind of being jerks. Yeah, exactly. And, and they may lack expertise too, right? And that's where, especially that's where the arbitrary piece comes in, right? Where they're saying, oh, we're gonna, we need this done by end of October. And you're like, okay, but that doesn't make sense. It's going to take us four months to do that, right? Um, you know, really. Or, or uh, if, if you say end of October, why? Why is it October, whatever, right? Like, I, I think this goes back to the question of let's be empowered to ask ourselves why and to be and to push people and ask those quote unquote uncomfortable questions, right? Asking somebody why are why do we need this by the end of October? That shouldn't be an uncomfortable question, even though people may seem like that they, they, they may they, they may feel that they are being pushy, but we need to be comfortable about that. So definitely yeah. I think you one of the an aspect of not a good culture is when there's all these arbitrary decisions or and I, that, that's definitely a, a big red flag there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so what other would you bring up? So I, one I, I like to say is, is um, let's call it kind of the, like the fortune teller type of approach where, where there is basically somebody who is so knowledgeable about the entire data landscape. And this person ends up being a bottleneck. Now, Somebody has a question, has a business question, and they say, well, you got to go talk to this person. This person is the only person who we trust who can get the data because they just, they've been here for so long. They really understand the landscape. They understand how all the data gets connected. But, and of course, this person starts, feels so powerful. Everybody comes to me for this, for, for all the questions and they get this power and, and, and then suddenly they don't want to share this power anymore, right? Power is control and, and, and it's their job security. And, and then you, you then you start seeing all this let's go be data driven, let's go democratize data and so forth. And for them, that's a threat. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, they end up being the bottleneck. And I've actually seen this before. And it's actually very unfortunate that the person ends up also being a jerk. And people don't want to work with this person anymore to the point that they're actually fired from the organization. And then what is and then because it's a it's a culture issue, right? So this is really, this is really sad. They have left. And then I've seen them being hired again because for, during that first month that they were out, they were without that person, the company went crazy. They didn't know where to get the data or they didn't start. They immediately started to realize, I don't trust this data even more because we really relied so much on this one person. And in one particular case, this person was rehired and they had so much leverage that they were able to go get a promotion and a raise and so forth. I mean, talk about kind of being almost a toxic culture on that. This person who people didn't like, didn't like, 
they had to go rehire because that was the only person who had that knowledge. And I think this is, you, you kind of already dug a hole and you're so deep into this hole that the question is, how do you get out of this hole? But I think, the, how do we avoid getting to these things? And once you're in these holes, how do you start getting out of it? I think this, this is the type of, a lot of the situations where uh, maybe people know that there's skeletons in the closet and they're afraid of them. And that's why they want to be so in control. This is another big red flag uh, when people do not want to share their knowledge. Red flag of a data culture. Yeah, hoarding knowledge is a is a really big challenge, and uh, and man, I, I certainly hope when they rehired that person, they said, "Hey, you have one project; it's to document everything." <laughs> and then in three months from now, let's let's see if this is still working out for us. <laughs> one could have hoped. One could have hoped. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it didn't work out that way. <laughs> no, but 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 eventually, I can tell you that that what with this company I was working with before, uh, we were able to start documenting a lot, just because you just need to get more people involved on all aspects of the data, all the way from the data producers, all the way to data consumers. And we realize that we just can't have uh, bottlenecks. I think yeah. that's something, that, I mean, kind of ahead of here, how do we transition is making sure we find out where those bottlenecks are and just start adding more people into the mix to, to realize that we need to start democratizing and start documenting all this knowledge. And again, yeah. that's why you want to be able to have a data catalog to be able to go sort out where all this knowledge is. Yeah, no, I think that's a huge point. And actually, bottlenecks brings up uh, to mind uh, a couple more big anti-patterns, right? One of them is you centralize everything, right? And there's one particular group that is the ivory tower in your organization, and nothing can happen without their buy-in, their permission, right? Uh, and what ends up happening is it doesn't really scale, right? They end up becoming the bottleneck. They hoard the expertise. Then, you know, they may or may not be willing to do the documentation and everything has to wait in line for them to give the thumbs up on. Uh, and that can be a huge problem. Uh, and, and what's challenging is that the flip side of that is also a huge problem, right? Like we've seen organizations where, you know, maybe they're interested in doing a data catalog or a data governance solution, but everything is completely the opposite of the ivory tower. Everything is distributed and there's maybe no central governance function, no central IT even. And that is super challenging as well to try to create a data culture around. So it's, this is this, I mean, it's once, if you look at the spectrum, on one side of the spectrum, you're saying it's completely centralized. Right, so we have one data governance entity for the entire organization. Everything has to go through it. That's why everything ends up being very slow. Uh, and then they're, they're seen like the police, the annoying police that we don't wanna go and people wanna figure out ways of getting around them but without getting caught. So then of course you start seeing more of these rogue databases all over the place. And then when you go to the other spectrum, it's like, no, how about every department has their own governance? And like, well, that's great, right? We can be more self-service. We can be more autonomous. But that's when you start realizing that nobody starts connecting the dots between across all the different uh, organizations. Heck, I, we've seen organizations that they have multiple catalogs from different vendors within organization. And now they, want, now they say, well, we went on to, move to one extreme. Now let's have a centralized and let's have them all completely decentralized. And now we want a catalog to go catalog the catalogs. I'm like, whoa, hold on. This, this does not sound like a recipe for success. I mean, here we're just putting patches on top of patches. There is a bigger fundamental problem here. So I think two sides of the spectrum, completely centralized is not the approach, completely, all completely decentralized where every single department has their own type of, type of governance structure. That's another approach where 
you have even your own internal data cultures and things can just go haywire all over the place. So, so I think that those are another big red flags of what you should not be doing. Yeah. And the pendulum is swinging one way or the other. And meanwhile, people have questions, right? They're, where's the data? How do I, how do I solve my use case, right? How can I do it quickly? Um, you know, it, the focus moves away from data empowerment and it focuses on uh, the, the challenges and the bottlenecks that you have going on instead. So let's flip this around a little bit, kind of be more, let's be more positive now. Let's go share some of the examples that, we, that we've seen um, about I, ideal scenarios or, or paths to the ideal scenario of data cultures. What, what do you have? Yeah, so um, one example of something that I think is a really great uh, to-do, right, is, um, is to organize a stewardship program. So one of our customers is a very large global consultancy um, and they really approached uh, their data situation, their data problem in a way where not only did they identify across their business, the key data, you know, evangelists, people who care about and drive expertise in the organization, but they actually formalized a stewardship program where people meet on a regular basis. They share knowledge about how to best manage and govern data. And they actually set up a little bit of hierarchy where they have a program manager who's in charge of the overall stewardship program. They have domain data stewards that are in charge of areas of sort of data expertise. And then they have specific asset stewards who own specific resources, own specific assets, and they're in charge of kind of caretaking for those different assets, right? Um, um, and this kind of structure, this well-organized structure really allows you to have clear leadership um, and, uh, and make it so that the program is bigger than the individuals, right? You heard us mention about some of these individuals who cause problems in an organization, whether it's they're, they're too uninvolved, they're over-involved, they're trying to be a bottleneck, or they, they, you know, there isn't anybody who can help you. Um, that having this clear organization makes it so that way you have, you have clarity, you have structure. And if somebody leaves the organization, the, the program is sustained. The knowledge goes on. Uh, that's, that's, I, I really like this about having a clear data stewardship program because we talk about, yes, we need data stewards, but that's something that we really, that's probably another topic we should dive into is how do you set up these, these, these data storage programs? Like who does this data steward report to? Like what is the team? And I think part of the stuff that we've been advocating that we believe is you want to have this data product management team, right? That's, that's a middle approach, kind of this middle org or, 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 or this, this group that is between the producers and the consumers that yeah. can manage What's that. What's the relationship? interplay between these uh, data product managers and the stewards? Are they the same people? Are they different people, right? Well, I think this is something that we're now just starting to kind of think more about, right? Where does this, is, who does the data steward, for example, report to? And if you go back, I remember one of, our, one of my favorite episodes we've had here at Catalog and Cocktails was the conversation we had with Claire Cahill from the Zebra uh, on the topic of the data product manager. And I think that week that we were talking to her, she was, for us, she was hiring her first data steward. So I really like that approach that you have this a product management team for data, and, and that's the team who's in charge and responsible for the data. And, and I remember that the data steward, I think this is also a good example of, of positive uh, data cultures is you have data stewards who are in charge of the data that we have today. And that's one group of folks. Then you have a different group of folks that we, that are, are in charge of the data that's going to, that we're going to need tomorrow. So 
there, it's still too, it's still data, but we need to think about it in the different mindsets. And I really think that's a good, that, that's when we think about it within the organization is we need to deal with our situation today, but we also need to be proactive and we need to figure out what's going to happen tomorrow. And you don't, and I think these are different roles and responsibilities when it comes to managing data that we already have today with, versus data that we're going to have tomorrow. So I think that's another thing that I remember a lot from that conversation. So check a look, take a look at that um, podcast that we had. Now, one of the things that I've seen, um, and this is one of our one of our users, and I've had a lot of good conversations with them over the years, is how they're trying to balance the centralization and decentralization, and when especially when it comes to vocabularies, because we all, I mean, the topic and the example we give all the time, right? What does an order mean? What does a customer mean? Everybody means about these things differently. So there are. Within organization, there's a, there are central fundamental data models that should be shared across an organization. I mean, if you're, you're in retail, we all have orders, order lines, products, customers, order statuses, different types of order statuses. And this is a core, core fundamental, right? And even if we looked at, I remember again, our, our, our summit that we talked with uh, Patrick from ProLogis, we were talking about those fundamental data models. The, the fundamental of your organization, the data model of your organization should be pretty small, right? Even let's talk about insurance. Oh, insurance is such broad, but it's still policies, claims, underwriting, agents, policyholders, it's in the uh, premiums. It's a small set of, of, of concepts and attributes and relationships between them. Now, obviously, when we're going to go into the devils in the details and you're going to go through every single organization, every single sub-organization, they're going to have their own specialization of things. So that part, let them, let them decentralize that. Let, them peop let people start having their own vocabulary for things within an organization. L let there be friction, that's okay. And once, you once people start complaining about friction, saying, wait, how come somebody is, I, I have to go talk to these two different, I'm consuming data from these two different sub-organizations and I'm confused. They're calling the same thing, uh, the, the same word, but they're different things. These types of complaints, these types of frictions gets rolled back to the centralized kind of governance of the, of, of the organization. And at that point, people will say, hey, okay, hold on, let's go figure out what's going on here. And then they try to resolve that friction. And suddenly, once they resolve that, that goes into, that, into, the, into the fundamental data model. And the fundamental data model gets extended. So I think it's this, it's this balance between the, the, the fundamental centralized aspects are, are, are that centralized, and then you enable the, the decentralization of, of the specific vocabularies from different every single uh, sub-org. And when friction shows up, that's a sign that we need to start talking together. And this thing happens continuously. So I think expecting that everything is gonna work perfectly, that's not gonna happen. I think we just need to be comfortable that we're going to have friction and let's embrace that friction as an opportunity to say, this is something we should go fix and let's go catch that friction early on. And then everybody's happy. That's something I've been really excited about this approach of, of man. That's, that's a way of managing decentralization and centralization and having to work together. 
I, I really like that. And, and I think it really ties into transparency and collaboration, right? Where, uh, you know, a more typical approach might be to say, hey, we're going to, you know, th these people over here are going to write the glossary or whatever. And then they're going to be like, here's what it is, right? And some people will be like, oh, great. And some people are like, no, that's wrong, right? Uh, I don't agree with that. Like underwriting means something different for us, right? Uh, and if you can really be transparent about it and collaborative about it, you actually want to have those arguments. Part of having a good data culture is to make those arguments out there happen, use things like suggestions and crowdsourcing or getting in front of the proverbial whiteboard, right? These days it might be more like a mirror board, right? But in the future, it'll be a, a whiteboard again um, and, and have those conversations and work it out, right? Because if you want to do data warehousing and you want to have a star schema that makes sense, if you want to do master data management, if you want to do, you know, uh, uh, roll it off the factory analytics types use cases, like AI, you, you got to have these terms figured out. You got to know what the data is so you can agree on what the result is going to be. So let's kind of shift gears a little bit and go from transition. So how, how do we transition from a, a not so ideal data culture into an ideal data culture? Um, I'm going to go start with one thing, which is the question I ask every single prospect or customer or just friend anybody who's responsible for your data ask yourself who is responsible for your data who gets fired if something bad happens with the data that's being generated who gets promoted if something amazing happens with the data that you generated i think we need to ask those questions first and that's how we start seeing where we fit within the organization but that's clear and and ask everybody around you who do you think is responsible for this Ask, I mean, ask your, your colleagues, ask your, your, your bosses, your leaders, your executives, who do they think is responsible for the data? And who, who, and, and who should be, right? Because people who may think I should be, but maybe they really shouldn't be, like, where should that actually fit? I think that's one, that's one of the most important things in my opinion. What, 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 what do you think? Couldn't agree more on that one. Um, uh, another one that I'll throw out there that I think is key to the transition is uh, getting the right people involved. Right. And that means getting like if you look at all the research on data cultures and transformation and all the case studies, and I know our experiences with our customers goes in the same direction, is that you need to have executive stakeholders involved. Right. You need visibility up high in the organization. You heard us mention about these hoarders and these troublemakers, these jerks. Right. You want to try to avoid having them in, involved in the in the project if possible. Right. Unless they're going to be your naysayers. Right. Then you need to sort of manage them as stakeholders. Uh, you want to encourage the champions uh, to be a part of, uh, of, of your group, uh, the people who are really going to be uh, what in a, in a previous interview, we had uh, Stuart Corver, head of sales engineering, he talked about the astronauts, you want to find the people who want to go to the moon, right? Like you want those people to be a part of the initiative, you want them involved. And you have to think about the skills and the, and the responsibilities of the people that are involved, right? Like, for example, if you have a, a data scientist who's involved in the, in the particular initiative, right, they're going to be really helpful to understand how data science needs to happen with these, uh, with these data sets. Uh, but should they be in charge of governance? Should they be in charge of people, right? Maybe they shouldn't, right? And so thinking about how to get the right people involved in the right ways in the project is, uh, is key to make this transformation happen. Fully agree. And I love that quote about being an astronaut, right? I mean, if it, it's, we're going to go to the moon. Not everybody's going to be, have the guts to be an astronaut to go to the moon. Like who really wants to be that astronaut on that journey? Sign them, sign them up. They have that energy. They have that incentive. 
So those are the types of people you want to go have on board. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another one is, again, always ask what success looks like, right? We're going to go do this data. We're going to go, why are we doing this? What does success look like? By when? For whom? And I think that's connected to understanding where the, where the incentives are within your organization. I see this multiple times. Either I want to be innovative uh, or somehow the CEO is telling me I need to be innovative with my data, but I report to the CFO and the CFO's goal is to cut costs. So obviously success is completely different. I, I want to define success one way, but my boss defines success a completely different way. We will never advance. We will always have clashes. We, people are going to get reorganized. They're, they're going to be on one product and suddenly switch, switch to another one. So I think we, we ask ourselves what success looks like. And if we realize that we're not matching to our definition of success with our counterparts and with our executives and our leaders, there is an issue on our reporting structure. And I think that is really, really important that we need to identify now and then be able to go change. If then, if you're the one who's tasked to being innovative with, with, uh, on your data projects, then you're probably not supposed to be uh, uh, reporting to the CFO. Uh, you maybe need to be reporting to the, to the chief uh, uh, marketing officer because, right? Or maybe to the chief underwriting officer in an insurance space, right? Because we need to figure out better ways to go underwriting. Um, different from, I need to go re- report to the CFO. I think that that's another one, a, a very crucial one. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a great one. Um, another one that I'll bring up is, um, uh, you know, near and dear to my product manager heart is around, you know, in, in product management, there's this concept of a minimum valuable product, right? The MVP. Um, and you know, part of the approach of product management is to figure out the risks and the obstacles that are going to drive your value and success, sort of understand what's going to block you unblock those things and really try to drive towards the minimum value as fast as possible. Right. And, uh, and de-risking the things that are the riskiest, the things that are most likely to cause trouble. Right. And I think that as you think of your own organization and you think about how you're going to change data culture. Think of it with that MVP mindset, right? If we're trying to achieve this value, right? You, you heard uh, uh, Juan mention about success, right? You've defined what success means. That's where you want to get to. Um, what is the path that you want to take to get there, right? Uh, people, process, technology, everything, right? And what are the biggest risks? Are, is it certain people? Is it, is it the way things happen in your organization? Is it not having enough executive buy-in? You know, what are these obstacles, right? Is it a technology obstacle? A lot of times it isn't actually a technology obstacle. It's something else first and foremost, right? And focus on de-risking those things so you can get to that MVP. Love that. As always, Tim, 30 minutes flies by. So let's close with some takeaways. How about you go first? Sounds good. Uh, takeaways for me, um, I'll, I'll quote, um, actually, it was something that uh, um, Alan from Prologis mentioned. He's actually a regular here on the show. He mentioned that uh, culture is what's normal here. I think it's something that uh, uh, either he heard or, or, uh, or, or that he kind of promoted. And I love that statement. Uh, you know, it's what's normal here because, um, you know, to, to change, to make change in an organization, to change your culture, you know, you have to have a recognition of what is normal currently and the fact that you're trying to change what is normal, right? You're going to do something that's abnormal, that's weird, right? And then you're going to try to make that become normal. Um, and so it makes you think about, about tech, but it makes you think especially about 
process, about org structure, about what does success mean, about people, about politics, right? Um, it's a different way in a, of thinking of things. And, uh, and I love that. Like, let's change what's normal in our organizations. I love that. I love that. For my, my takeaway is we, we need to find a way to balance the centralization and decentralization of data management. And when we go do that, we will encounter friction. And we need to understand and accept that friction is a good thing because friction indicates the usage, it, the data is being used and why it's used and how it's used. And we are able to, uh, and we're able to identify that friction early on. We're going to avoid so many problems down the line. So having this balance between centralization, decentralization will give some friction. Let's, let's, let, let's encourage that friction and let's make sure that we make, turn that into an opportunity. Well, Tim, always a pleasure. I'm really excited about all these topics that we have. And actually for next week, we're going to kind of shift a little bit gears and get into the topic of the marketplace, marketplaces of data. We talk a lot about all our good discussions about have been about internal data, internal enterprise data. But what happens about that external data? What happens when you want to go acquire open data on the web, the U.S. Census data, for example, or a third-party data? Um, how do you do that? How do you buy data? How do you find data? How do you manage data? What are all the other obstacles that you're encountered there? Uh, so we're going to have a great guest next week, and it's going to be a really fun, uh, interesting conversation. So keep keep tuned uh, in uh, for our next week of Catalog and Cocktails. Yeah, tune in for that. It'll be uh, Jeremy Boxed from Accenture. So it'll be a really, really interesting conversation. So He's actually been on the buyer side and on the seller side, on, on both sides of data. And, and he, I, I believe correctly, he was at Bloomberg, one of the main folks uh, on acquiring data. So it's going to be a really fantastic conversation. Awesome. All right. Cheers, Juan. Cheers. You have a good one, Tim. The data and better data cultures. Cheers. <laughs>